1: Hi, guys. Quick one before we get into the episode. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster, which is the production suite that I've used from the very beginning of this podcast. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, hang around at the end of the episode for our 30% discount referral code. Thanks.
0: So, our podcast is called Right and Wrong.
1: <laughs> Are these are your notes. Are these Are your notes about what we're going to say. Uh, anything. It's it. a short answer. So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my Brand?
2: god, so many! <laughs> it was perfect. What's she talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it. guys. the
1: big secret. To get published, you have to write a good book. I'm going to hear first. We're going to. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie and I'm very lucky to be joined today by a uh, million copy bestselling author and vice president of the Romantic Novelists Association, the one and only Julie Cohen. Hi Jamie. Hi, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here and um, it's nice of you to call me the one and only. There are a few other Julie <laughs> Cohens around, notably yes. a uh, an uh, Oscar nominated Film producer who well. did a film about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is extraordinary.
1: Oh, it's nice that you are researching other famous Julies, Julie Clemens.
2: I get her emails sometimes, and oh, <laughs> so <laughs> I like to keep up to date with her work. But her work is fantastic, so do check her out too.
1: Oh, that's great. A nice little plug for a fellow Julie Cohen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're all great. <laughs> yeah,
1: it sounds like it. <laughs> Let's focus on you. and Let's talk about you. Um, you've been, I mean, you've been writing professionally for, for a long time now. A, yes. Um, two dozen books out at this point
2: mm-hmm.
1: around that number mm-hmm. and the new one coming out August 4th. Uh, t- tell us about Summer People.
2: So Summer People is out in hardback on the 4th of August and also audiobook and ebook. And it is set on a remote island off the coast of Maine, which I, I'm from Maine, as you can tell from my accent. <laughs> um, set on a remote island off the coast of Maine called Unity, where there are no cars and where the core community is about 60 people year round. But every summer, there's an influx of rich, well off summer people who really drive the economy of the island. And the story is a love story between two women who fall passionately and madly in love with each other when they meet on the island. One of them is a current resident of the island, and one of them is a former resident of the island who's come back as a summer person. But the problem is that they're both married to other people.
1: That is an issue. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and. You're, you're a, a member, and advocate of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. So is, is there a sort of autobiographical element to, to some of this, the experience?
2: Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I wrote this book soon after getting divorced. Mm-hmm. So, And this book is not just about an affair. It is also the story of two marriages and what goes wrong in those two marriages. So in that aspect, I think there's some autobiography involved. That is, I I was thinking about the lack of communication between married people, um, the things that can go wrong between two people who actually very much care about each other. So I think that aspect is autobiographical. The affair itself is pure fantasy on my part. (laughs) Um, because I did not have an affair while I was married,
1: <laughs> yep, <yeah. laughs> that's good that's
2: good, but um part of it is both of these women are coming out at later stages in their life um mm. they're in their thirties, early forties, and that did actually happen to me. I came out as bisexual publicly in my mid forties, so I think that wrestling with that aspect of yourself that maybe you didn't have the time or the space or the ability to Express and confront when you are a younger person and then yeah. coming to it later in life when you everybody thinks you should be settled that is uh, quite autobiographical and something that I have experienced myself
1: yeah well I mean write what you know so uh, very um, it's very authentic and, and compelling the way the way you tell it thank you and uh, I mentioned that you are an advocate for the community as as part of your involvement with the RNA, you founded the Rainbow Chapter. What is that? Mm-hmm.
2: So the RNA is the Romantic Novelist Association, and we're a professional organization of people who write relationship fiction. It's not necessarily romance fiction. Um, my story, Summer People, is not a romance novel. It's a love story, but not a romance novel. Um, and so it's, it's about relationship fiction. And the Rainbow Chapter is a subgroup of the RNA um, about people who either identify as LGBTQIA plus or who write stories about people who identify that way. So um, it's a really nice safe space within that community. The cliches of romantic fiction it's be- is that it's between a man and a woman, um, and There are so many more possibilities for romance and love in this world. And we wanted to make sure that we were representative of all our members and also of all the stories that are being told.
1: That's great. That's a a wonderful initiative. Um, Thank
2: you. We marched in Pride this year and then the one before that um, with under the banner Love Stories Are For Everyone And it was great because we were marching um, and people would go, what? Romantic Novelist Association? What the (laughs) heck is that? And then they would see our banner saying love stories are for everyone. And you could actually see, you know, people in the crowd going, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Queer (laughs) books. Let's do it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's
1: great. And Uh it sounds like a lot of fun as well.
2: It is. It's really. We have a really good time. I, I always say that our chapter is the most fun. But I'm sure <laughs> you know. I'm a little bit biased.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I noticed that you you were talking about um, the classifications of the books just now, mm-hmm. and you said it's a it's a uh, summer people is a love story, not a romance story. Yes. What's the the main distinction though?
2: Well, a genre of romance story is usually between two people who are not generally married to other people. Generally they're single or recently single. Um, it has um, a the reader expects a certain type of story um, and to have a certain type of ending. Um, genre romance is a is a very specific genre and it has really strong reader expectations of what they want to read. Um, and if you market your story as a romance and it doesn't have those expectations met, Your reader will be very disappointed. So I like to make a distinction between romance fiction and romantic fiction or relationship fiction or a love story. Because a love story can have any type of ending. There can be a tragic ending or a happy ending or the two characters or three characters or however many might not end up together. Um, A love story can be between more than two people. um, or there can be complications, there can be several love stories within it, which I think Summer People has. It, you know, it's also the story of two marriages, as well as the story of a new love. Um, and also the story of the past relationships, too. So, love story is much broader than romantic fiction, and romantic fiction is much broader than genre romance, which has very specific criteria. So like a like a cozy mystery would have very specific criteria yes. yeah. or a spy thriller would have very specific criteria. Mm-hmm. You have to, it's a genre within itself with reader expectations.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes perfect sense. You mm-hmm. don't want to be reading your um, spy thriller and then suddenly aliens invade.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The reader would be really annoyed <laughs> with that and throw the book against the wall. So, and that's something we like to avoid as authors. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't set, don't set people up with the wrong expectation. No, that's, that's very wise words. And, mm-hmm. um, some of people is out August 4th. You can pre-order it right now. Let's dial it back a bit to when you were, I mean, it's a while ago now, 2006, uh, which I think is the year that you published your very first novel.
2: Yeah. But it's even farther back than that because I sold oh. my first novel in 2004,
1: Oh, and it wasn't published till 2006.
2: And it wasn't published until 2006. And um, actually, I sold one novel in 2004, and then very quickly sold uh, five more. So I had six novels published in 2006. Wow. Was it six? No, it was five. Sorry, five novels published in, in 2006. Year. And I had a oh. child. Jesus <laughs> but that was you know two, you know two years and a concurrent you know nine months in the making um, so because I sold my first book in 2004 and then very just right before that I had signed with an agent I actually sold my first six books to Mills and Boone hmm. and those are genre romance novels which is why I really talk about the difference between a romance and a love story um, so I sold my first six books to Mills and Boone but I had signed with an agent before that for standalone romantic comedies, um, and I was writing those for headline. Um, and because they were both the initial books in new imprints for both publishers, it took a little while to get those off the ground.
1: Okay.
2: So even though I sold my first book in 2004, I just kept on writing. I kept on writing. So I had a real backlog. <laughs> when well, they yeah. finally hit the shelves.
1: <laughs> wow. So you must be, you must be, do you sort of keep up that pace nowadays? Do you, are you always writing
2: something? Oh my God, no. I'm middle-aged <laughs> now, so yeah, no way. <laughs> and, I, and I'm a mom. Um, I did all of that. I mean, some of it I did when I was pregnant, but I did all of mm. that before I was a, before I was a parent. I was working full-time as a teacher um, yeah. while I was doing all of that, but um, that left more emotional energy for writing than being a parent did. Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. So you, you said you sold some books to Mills and Boone and that went, but then after that you signed with an agent to write a book for headline. Mm -hmm. So did, was that a direct thing with Mills and Boone where you had pitched directly to them, um, to publish the works? You didn't, there was no agent involved.
2: Yes. Well, I had been trying to write, so I was, I was, as a new writer, I was pretty stupid. (laughs) And I, uh, see, they always say, write what you love to read. And I love to read everything. I really am very wide in my reading tastes. And so it was difficult for me to decide what it is that I should write. I knew that I wanted to write, but I didn't know what. And so I decided to try to write for Mills and Boone because I used to read them because, you know, on holiday, um, I used to flip straight to the sex scenes, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Um, and so I thought I would try to write for them because they are short. You didn't need an agent. They're only about 50,000 words. You didn't need an agent. The expectations are very clear. Some people say they're formulaic, but it's more that the expectations are very clear. Um, you need a certain type of ending. You need a certain type of story. And they're very limited. There's only two people involved. There are very limited subplots and, and secondary characters. So I thought, gosh, that's got to be really easy to do so i'm going to write one of those because it's going to be so easy, and then maybe i'll write some other stuff but um spoiler alert it is really, really, really not easy to write for Mills and Boone <laughs> it is <Okay. laughs> very difficult because the reader expectations are so specific, and also because the readers of these novels don't just read one they read a lot of them, mm. so you have to be fresh and interesting whilst still hitting all the correct beats and emotions and structural elements. So it's it's quite difficult to write a Mills and Boone novel, very difficult to write a Mills and Boone novel. Um, and so I had to write several of them before I even got close to that. So I was writing, I wrote five novels, uh, manuscripts targeted at Mills and Boone, and they all failed oh. um, except for the fourth, which 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 was longest in a competition um, and because I'd written five and they all failed I was like no forget this I'm going to try to write something else so I wrote a standalone romantic comedy and pitched that to agents and I actually sold. I actually signed with my agent pretty much exactly one month before I sold my first book to Mills and Boone and I remember calling my agent and saying hi I just got a contract with Mills and Boone and she said oh no oh no <laughs> I'm trying to pitch you as a standalone writer. I was like, no, that's fine. That's fine. I can do both, Um, At which I did for a while. Um, I wrote both. But the great thing about writing for Mills and Boone, because I wrote so many so quickly, was that I was able to make some money. It was better paid back then in the Hmm. early 2000s. I was able to make enough money to um, give up my teaching job and write full time because I had six books published in one year. Yeah. Uh, or is it five books? God, I have to I have to count. Sorry, <laughs> it's six. It was my first five Mills and Boons and one with headline. Um, so I was able to become a full time writer relatively quickly because I had so many published at once.
1: Well, that's amazing.
2: Mm-hmm. And then I only wrote one more book for Mills and Boon, and then I concentrated more on my standalone career with my agent.
1: Right, and is that the same agent that you are currently with?
2: It is. Yes. I've been with her since 2004.
1: Wow. That, well, that's yeah. great. It's nice to hear that, you know, you've, you've obviously got a really good uh, partnership going.
2: Yeah. It's outlasted my marriage.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> Communication and mutual respect, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, it's actually a funny thing. Cause I was, I've, I've had um, a number of editors on the show and, um, even though I most of the time the contact between an editor and author is not going to be as much as an, an author and an agent, but I have said the the relationship between an editor and author sort of goes very deep, very quickly because you mm-hmm. uh, have to sort of jump straight away into a point where you're being very honest with each other mm-hmm. more, more so than in like most other relationships.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And very vulnerable. You have to be very yeah. vulnerable with this person. Um, it's it's slightly uneven because i do think that the author is more vulnerable than anybody else in this situation but also they in an ideal world they have the most power and control as well in an ideal world theoretically
1: they theoretically. do yeah <laughs> um getting back to you so 2004 you sold your first books you've been writing a long long time though how much has your process and approach to writing changed since then
2: a lot it really has changed a lot um, I have evolved a lot of techniques my books have changed substantially mm. um, the the early books the Mills and Boons but also my early rom-coms were very straightforward they had a very straightforward structure um, I think fairly straightforward conflicts they were mostly my stand standalone romantic comedies were mostly first person. So there was only really one protagonist. Um, And as I've gone on, my books have become much more complex structurally, and also uh, thematically. So um, I will have Summer People has four Point of point of view characters, for example, I wrote a book called Together, which was told backwards. Um, I wrote a book called The Two Lives of Louis and Louise, where it's set in two different universes with the same character, except the same character is a different gender in each universe. So uh. they've become, and and I've been looking at subjects not just about romance, but you know, I look at subjects such as marriage and grief and um, alcoholism and faith and gender and sexuality, and so so. The scope of them thematically and um, structurally in the craft has changed a lot from when I first started out, when I would just sort of sit down, design the characters and just go for it. Yeah. Now I really have to plan in advance. I have to think a lot about the ups and downs of the narrative. I have to think a lot about the theme and their interrelation between plot and subplot. Um, and how, and, and again, it, it comes down to reader expectations, but sort of how my reader is going to react to certain ideas and certain concepts and certain like the endings and, and how the book is put together. So I, I think I've learned a huge amount through writing. I've really sort of done my apprenticeship in public you know I mean? <laughs> by just writing and but trying to push myself with every single book I write to do something different mm. that's going to be interesting to me not just in the characters, but also in the um, in the execution and the the concepts. yeah you know, I've wrote a historical novel. my last novel was a historical novel set in the Victorian period called Spirited so they they've all taken slightly different um, techniques of planning um, and techniques of research and techniques of putting them together. But I am much more systematic and uh, thoughtful and I, I plan a lot in advance before I even start, um, yeah. which I never used to do. And that is, that's partly because I am a lot older now and my memory is really, really <laughs> bad. <laughs> and then partly because it is just so much more complicated that I yeah. have to like I, I was planning I'm writing a book now, obviously I'm always writing a book. Um, and I had to, I couldn't work out what was going to happen. I'm on, you know, quite early in the book, but I couldn't work out what was going to happen in the chapter. And then I went away, um, and came back like four days later, I went to Harrogate, um, crime writing festival. When I came back, it was like, oh no, what was supposed to happen in this chapter? I've completely forgotten. <laughs> but fortunately, I had put a line of Post-its on my wall in my office oh. that told me exactly what was going to happen. So I was able to just sit down and go, oh yeah, that, and then carry on writing.
0: Oh, perfect. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
1: so it sounds like you you enjoy experimenting with different sort of styles and and um settings but at the same time as time has gone by even though you are changing some things um you've sort of developed a a well-oiled machine in terms of the process?
2: (laughs) Well, you say well-oiled machine, (laughs) and it might look like that from outside. But I think writers all know that you can stumble at any stage of the process. You know, it's the reason why a process is such a good thing is so that, you know, it gives you something to do when things aren't going well. Mm. But then if things aren't really going well, you have to make up a whole new process. And the process for every book is slightly different. You know, sometimes I can, not often, but I have been able to just sit down and write. Sometimes a character appears that is so strong and they just lead the story. Yeah, Other yeah. times, it's been more about a concept that's leading the story, or, or a, a plot element that's leading the story. So you have to reinvent yourself with every single book, not just in what you're writing about, with but how you write it.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's really great. Um, a great way to approach it. You're sort mm. of learning a whole new skill set with each story because every story is, you know, from scratch, it hasn't existed before. You are creating something brand new.
2: And there are things that happen, you know, in the process of writing almost every single book. Um, and they're, they're sort of predictable. Like there'll be a point between 40 to 60,000 words in when I am sure that the book is really, 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 really bad. And <laughs> oh, yeah. that I should give it up and get a job. <laughs> um, I and mean, I quite like to get a job in John Lewis actually. Oh, yeah. So I, I I'm aiming high and want, you know, I want a nice place to work. I don't just want to and that happens every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think it's a very relatable experience for for most authors. So, you're, you're but it
2: always I mean. takes me by surprise, you know.
1: Even after 20 plus books.
2: Almost always I have yeah. <laughs> to I go to my writers. Fr- this is why it's so good to have friends who are writers because mm. I go to my writer friends and they say, "Uh, oh, you've reached that point, Julie." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so it's coming along well then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right on schedule. <laughs> or I'll go I'll like be writing something and I'll be, like, "Oh my god, I haven't reached the bad I haven't I call it the suckage point." Oh
1: yeah. I haven't yeah. reached
2: the suckage point yet where my book really sucks. Mm. And and they're like, "That's great." And I'm like, "No, no, it's coming." <laughs> What if I'm doing it wrong? <laughs>
1: I'm trying to speed it up if if I can get through it now, then it's fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that way the thing is what if it doesn't come? you know that's that really makes me worry. That's like the dunning Kruger effect, right? What if it's so bad that I don't even realize oh. that <laughs> that it's bad? <laughs>
1: Well, I guess it's reassuring for all of the aspiring writers and and, and debut novelists out there to know that you, someone who has sold millions of books and has put um, almost 30 out into the world now, still gets Mm -hmm. that every single time.
2: Every single time. (laughs) Every single time without fail and in different ways. I think one of the strengths of writers is finding creative ways to torture ourselves.
1: (laughs) That's what writing is, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) To
2: torture yourself and imaginary people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) I did just want to mention that I was on your website and I saw in your bio, you wrote your very first novel, age 11, which is absolutely incredible.
2: It wasn't a published (laughs) novel.
1: Well, (laughs) Obviously it wasn't published, but, but I'm saying just to have the conviction at that age to finish a novel, I I sometimes struggle with conviction, you know, as a, as a grown man to finish a novel, just to be able to have done that 11 is absolutely mind blowing to me.
2: But 11 is before you get scared.
1: Fearless is that was, that's what it was
2: fearless and this is another thing i say about writing is that the process of writing is is finding ways of ignoring the fear mm. um if every, every novelist any writer who is writing well has some fear of what they're doing that they're going to get it wrong that it's going to fail that that they've made a horrific mistake that they suck suddenly and i think we we all have that fear most of us have this fear um most good writers have this fear and when i was 11 i did not have that fear i was like yeah no i'm going to write this i'm having a great time i'm i'm just you know i was writing it in a notebook with by in cursive and i was drawing all the little maps to go with it and uh. Oh my god, it was terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was, um, it was, it was like a, a gender flipped uh, Wizard Versity, wasn't it? Yes, I love that. I yeah. love Ursula Le Guin; she's absolutely amazing.
2: I still love Ursula Le Guin, and in fact, um, my novel, two novels ago, the Two Lives of Louis and Louise, is was very much inspired by both Orlando, but also her Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Oh,
1: Left Hand of Darkness is just such. I was blown away. When I read that book and afterwards just for, for days I was just thinking about it and I was like that was so ahead of its time.
2: <laughs> right. <I
1: can't> <laughs> feels like it's still ahead of like we're not ready for it now.
2: <laughs> we're still not ready for it. No I know it's yeah. so it's so deeply human.
1: Yeah yeah and at the well- same time sort of like I don't know how to describe the, 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 level of empathy that it, that it triggered in me feeling mm-hmm. other people's experiences, even though they are aliens who, you know, which would seem unrelatable. It just, she's, she was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Getting back to you outside of your own writing, you also do, uh, teaching, you lecture, you do consultancy and you also run workshops. Is that all stuff that you've sort of just always done? <laughs>
2: I was a teacher before I was a writer. So when I, I left university with a degree in English, actually, I left university with two degrees in English because I really liked university. <laughs> um <laughs> And I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know how. So it didn't occur to me for some reason at that point that you just had to sit down and write a book. So I decided to become a teacher, and I was a secondary school teacher um, for ten years, over ten years, um, Mm. in various schools um, teaching English. Um, In fact, one of my students moved in next door to me. Oh, (laughs) that was quite that was funny. The house next door to me was for sale, and. Um, Someone bought it and they came out and said, Hey, Miss Cohen, how are you? (laughs) Oh my God, (laughs) I taught you back in the 90s. Um, So, teaching is something that really is in my blood. I love teaching. I really love being a teacher. And the only reason why I quit being a teacher was because I love being a writer more. So, teaching creative writing is something that combines both of those Mm. um, with the Added bonus that you very rarely have to give anyone detention.
1: <laughs> rarely. I noticed you said rarely there. Rarely. <laughs>
2: So yes, so I have always taught. Um, I was actually teaching creative writing before I was published, which is seems a little bit cheeky, but I was <laughs> given that opportunity to do that, which was which was fab. Um, and now I do retreats, I lead workshops um, all over the world, which is great. Yeah, and I occasionally work one on one with authors who have then gone on to be mega bestsellers, which is fantastic that makes me feel great. <laughs> when I was in Harrogate this past weekend, Harrogate Crime Writing Festival, two separate published authors came up to me and said, oh, I was on your course before I got published and it really helped me, which is just the best feeling in the world yeah, that's it's great. so great because you know when you're published yourself, you spend a lot of the time, worrying about fear you know you're worrying about your sales you're worrying about your publishing you're worrying about your reviews you're worrying about suckage point everything (laughs) um but when one of your students gets published that is just pure pride
1: Yeah. yeah 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 that's great all of these things are they mostly online are they also in person how does it how does it work
2: it was mostly in person, but then mm. with the pandemic, we moved to online. So sure. I have been doing some online workshops. I'm doing one with the Romantic Novelists Association in November, which is um, plotting the great romantic novel by analysing the film The Princess Bride.
1: I mean, 10 out of 10 film.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love it. It's it's so well-structured that I just love looking at it in terms of structure uh, and not just the jokes and I also have an online school. I had this workshop called Transforming Your Writing with po- with Post-it Notes or Plotting with Post-its or half a dozen uses for a post-it. I've called it different things. But it's about <laughs> essentially um, brainstorming, planning, plotting, and revising your novels using post-it notes, which mm-hmm. is what I do. I'm obsessed with them. They're all over my house everywhere. <laughs> and... I'm trying to become a brand ambassador, but Post-it have not yet <laughs> bitten. <laughs> oh. But because that was so popular and I offered it online and I offered it in person, I taught it all over the place. It was so popular. I then recorded it as a series of lectures and workshops, um, exercises, and I have put that up in my online writing school. So that is sort of there all the time for anybody to access if they want to. Um So I've been doing that as well, which is great. But also I've been teaching in person, which is so much fun. I'm going to uh, Canada in October to teach at the Surrey Writers' Conference, which will be fantastic. Oh, cool.
1: So, I mean, it must be nice just being back in – is it presumably big halls, sort of lecture style?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it is. Yes. And I'm such a ham, you know. I love performing. (laughs) And telling people what to do. I love telling people what to do.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Um, and uh, if anyone's interested in, in uh, hearing more about the online workshops, you can head over to novelgazing with Judy Cohen.teachable.com. And there are dashes between each of the words in that uh, to find out more.
2: Yes. Or just search novelgazing. It comes up as the first thing, I think.
1: Novelgazing. <laughs> yeah, just search novelgazing. You'll find it. <laughs> Speaking of helping others, and um, uh, you are, as I mentioned, vice president of the RNA, wonderful organisation who I've been lucky enough to work with on several uh, occasions. And and if all that wasn't enough, you're also patron of the ABC to Read charity, a lecturer at University of Reading, and a judge for the Wingate Literary Prize. Um, where do you find the time? I don't. <laughs> How do you do this? <laughs>
2: I don't, I have to give up like really fun things like watching TV and having friends. Um.
1: <laughs> that makes sense, I guess. I mean, it's just, you, you're so prolific, not only with all the books that you come out, but also just the work that you're doing within the industry. It's, um, it's really inspiring and it's great uh, to, to see you doing your thing out there.
2: Thank you. Well, you know, when I was starting out and since I've been starting out, other writers have been so generous to me with their time and their advice and their expertise. And that's the only way that you can pay it back really is to pay it forward to other people. Hmm. And I know the people who helped me were helping me because someone else had helped them. I find that the writer's community is just brilliant and so supportive and helpful. And it's, it's made the huge difference to me, not just in my writing, but in my life.
1: Wonderful to hear. And I, I, you know, I think I've had a similar experience, um, even if it's just making lots of friends within the writing community, I think immersing yourself in that community is, especially if you want to, uh, improve your writing and, and sort of, um, with a look to getting published, surrounding yourself with people that w- are willing to help and give feedback is, is always a good thing
2: yes and and willing willing to help and give feedback is the key thing because there are always people within any any community who are very happy to tear you down so it's important to find people who you utterly trust mm-hmm. so that they can tell you that you suck when you do suck and <laughs> yeah. also tell you that you're great when you are great
1: yeah 100 percent true um speaking of advice uh what advice would you give to uh, aspiring authors uh, who are looking to improve their writing and and with an aim to getting published at some point?
2: The obvious advice is to read a lot. Um, But I think most writers who, who are serious about their craft are doing that anyway, but to read a lot. But I think the best advice, aside from reading a lot, which is obvious, is another piece of advice, which is just to write as much as humanly possible mm-hmm. and to write and write and write. And I I never took – well, I, I hardly took any creative writing courses, which is ironic since I teach some now, but I didn't take many when I was an aspiring author. What I did was just write every day, all the time, and I wrote crap. You know, I wrote really <laughs> – badly yeah. for a long time. And I still write badly to this day on certain days. Mm-hmm. I think giving yourself permission to just write and write badly and then work out when you're writing badly and then make it better is the most valuable thing that you can do. And some people, I think some aspiring authors think that they're, they just have to write one great book and then that's going to be it. The thing is that even when you have your first book published, you're going to have to write another one and then another one and another one. And yeah. the more you write, the more you're going to know how to write. It's it's something you can – it's it's a craft rather than an art. You know what I mean? It's it's a yeah. thing that you have to get your hands dirty doing. And that means you have to make huge amounts of mistakes all the time. And it is necessary to make those mistakes. You can't sidestep that painful process you just have to write and write and keep writing and get it wrong until you get it right and then get it wrong again
1: yeah I mean it's more akin to I always think it's more akin to something like playing a musical instrument you know and even the greatest violinist in the world has to practice every day they have to practice new pieces and Mm -hmm. just with like with writing you need to keep practicing to get better and better and better
2: Yes, that's a really good analogy, like a musician or an athlete.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, I think, brings us on to the final question, which is as always, Julie, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you take with you?
2: So you know my normal answer to this is the complete Sherlock Holmes, but I am mm-hmm. um, because Sherlock Holmes changed my life. But actually, you know, I'm feeling really much more feminist today, and okay. <laughs> I think my book would be Middlemarch by George Eliot. I believe it's one of if not the most accomplished works of fiction in the English language.
1: Very high praise.
2: Mhm. I love that book.
1: And beating out Sherlock Holmes, my god. <laughs> That's a great choice. It's a really Thank really good you.
2: choice. Also, it's really heavy and <laughs> long. You know, okay. you got if you're going to only have one book, you might as well really make it a nice hefty one.
1: Yeah. So that you can hit wildlife on the head with it.
2: Right? It's not <laughs> only reading material, but also a tool. Yeah. I think George Eliot would approve of that. <laughs>
1: Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your experience and just chatting with me.
2: Thank you, Jamie. This has been really fun.
1: It has. Yeah, it's been great. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with uh, everything that Julie is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Julie underscore Cohen, or you can head over to her website, uh, julie-cohen.com. Uh, Google novel gazing with Julie Cohen uh, and you will find her online workshops. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again to Julie and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record and download your podcast with, and it even has a built-in transcription AI. It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.